my new way of thinking about it is these women should be famous and why the fuck yeah. aren't they? I mean, they're women that invented things or were the first to do something or kind of carved a unique space for themselves in a, like, quote-unquote, man's world. I'm Annie Fox. And I'm Laurel Pinson. And this is Workwives, conversations at your desk with the woman who knows you best. Pins. Yes. I have to thank you for many things, but the most important, or the one on my mind right now, is um, introducing me to A Woman to Know. Oh, the best. The best. Newsletter of all time. And I love the Wikipedia black holes it puts me in. Oh, yeah. I mean, you end up just being like, okay, well, this is an excerpt of the novel that I want to read about this person. Mm -hmm. So I grew up in New York, and I went to an all-girls school, and... And as part of my education, I learned about many a famous woman who then when I later moved to Texas and went to a co-ed school, it was like they were fake heroes. Not that they weren't heroes, but like nobody in the co-ed Texas environment had ever heard of most of the women that I idolized. And then I couldn't decide if they were real heroic women or that the school had sort of elevated them to this higher status because they were like, you've probably never heard of this woman, but she was a certified badass. And they all were. Mm. But what I love about a woman to know is that it's just more women that my new way of thinking about it is these women should be famous. And why the fuck yeah. aren't they? I mean, they're women that invented things or were the first to do something or kind of carved a unique space for themselves in a like quote unquote man's world or man's professional man's place, you know? Um, and that's why I love getting it every day. And also, they blow my mind because they're more often than not women I've never heard of. That's what I mean. Like, we now, like, how I'm do actually, I not know about you? We're going after these yeah. women. We're interested in these women. We work in a profession, we work with other women every day and talk about amazing women every day. And 99% of the time, I've never heard of them. Who's your favorite woman to know? Okay, well, I, 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 I could I, see you were like waiting, me, waiting I for me to ask you that question. I legit pulled it up anticipating this conversation. So, my uh, woman to know, which just rocked my world, was Stephanie St. Clair. First of all, that name already. I'm Stephanie St. Clair. Yep. And the picture of her is this amazing black and white portrait of this woman in this sort of chic dress with poofed sleeves and this dapper hat. And everyone, every a woman to know leads off with a quote from mm. the woman. And hers is, I have no fear of anybody. <sighs> Which I just went, oh, okay. Yep. And then the image is from the Mob Museum. <laughs> Which gives you your first taste <laughs> of, of what's what to come. Yeah, yep. and it leads off. People knew her as Madame Queenie, mm-hmm. ruler of the Harlem numbers rackets, mentor to mobster Bumpy Johnson, an enemy of gangster Dutch Schultz. Mm-hmm. Like I'm in. I also love that crime at that time had that quaint name of being a racket. Like it wasn't really <laughs> yeah. evil. It was just a. It was just a little shifty. Well, people had nicknames like Bumpy. Bumpy. Yeah. Could you imagine? And she was Queenie. Was she Queenie? She was Queenie. Mm. Madam. Madam. Queenie. Sorry. I'm sorry. Maybe it was Madame. Probably, Probably Madam. Madam Queenie. But yeah, she was basically a high-ranking member of the numbers racket in Harlem in the early 1910s, and she was, and I quote, the only woman in the game. Yeah. Which I believed. She had this huge reputation. And when, quote, other mobsters threatened her numbers empire, she'd take out full page ads in the Harlem newspapers, boasting her prowess, but also advocating for local political reform. Like, that's what I love. You know, a bit of numbers racket, a bit of local reform. Great. Full page ads. Full page ads. But then the best part is it sort of goes into her later years. (laughs) 
Yeah, because where do you go after you've like, you know, basically Where do you go after this? Home. Well, I'll tell you. Quote, after shooting at her cheating husband in a highly publicized dispute, Stephanie spent years in jail. Yeah. And when she got out, her gangster days were over. She spent her final years in Harlem frequenting all her old haunts, remembered by the locals as, quote, sane and smart and fearless. Wow. And what a compliment to be a woman in the tens and considered sane. 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 That's First word. Could, that's all you could Same? hope for. My favorite is the is the Chinese pirate child. Oh. Yeah, she's great. It's a it's a sort of it's a pretty woman story of of sorts, really. <laughs> she was taken onto a ship My fair lady. as a child as a teenage prostitute, and then the captain died, and somehow she took the entire ship over, and then proceeded to be like the most famous pirate queen of the seas for like a long time. I think a decade or so. Which is just, I love how both of our like favorite, like our time. favorite like women to know. Criminals. Criminal. Criminals. But that's what you had to be at that time. No, it's true. And really what we're saying is the we The rules just, were bogus. It's, it's, it's like shifty women who are just getting things done despite the odds. Don't get mad. Take everything. I do. I mean, Hedy Lamarr was not a woman to know. But she has a glamour connection, which I have an affinity for. She was this obviously very successful actress in the 30s. Um, and 40s and then she was on a cover of Glamour but she was also an inventor so she was this actress and this sort of model and then just on the side was inventing things I think she tried to invent a flavor of soda this is like one of my favorite Wikipedia holes she tried to invent a soda I think that just (laughs) sucked and she was like okay I'm gonna put the soda down it just tastes like seltzer so that's not gonna work (laughs) I'm gonna put the soda down I'm just put the down I'm gonna try something else and then uh, so she just sort of threw casually threw together a guidance system for torpedoes which we ended up using in the second world war and then that led to wi-fi wi-fi where would you be without wi-fi I mean shit (laughs) thanks Hedy anyway I just thought that was really cool to learn that Hedy Lamar the inventor of wi-fi which is the backbone of my entire existence (laughs) was on the cover of glamour I didn't realize that we'd had what's nice about Actually, working for a brand like Glamour is, you know, that's been around since 1939. Mm-hmm. It's had a lot of time to highlight a lot of different women and sort of mm-hmm. along the way have managed to spotlight real pioneers. So we looked back through Glamour's archives, actually, to spotlight some of the amazing pioneers um, that have appeared in our pages and actually discovered um, that Glamour featured the first black woman on its cover back in 1968, Katiti Kurande, and we tracked her down um, and she graciously agreed to chat with us. Our associate producer, Katiri Benjamin, sat down with Katiti to discuss what it's like being a woman of colour working at Glamour at two very different times. We're so excited to have you on the show. I would love if you could just tell me about yourself. I'm Katiti Kirande, and in 1968, um, Ruth Whitney and um, the Glamour organization picked me to be the first black woman on the cover of a fashion magazine, I suppose in the world. I don't think, except for, you know, African magazines, I don't think that any major U.S. magazines had ever had a black woman on their cover. I mean, on the cover, you were one of Glamour's top 10 best-dressed college girls, which, of course, is now called um, College Women of the Year. But at the time, it was for best-dressed, you know, college girls. I actually made the clothes that I wore. In two of them, I was wearing white shirts. And my passion in life has always been women's white shirts, because I really believe in the white shirt as being an integral piece of any woman's wardrobe and as being 
it's kind of the anchor. You know, you have your white shirt and then you have all kinds of other things. But as long as you always have that white shirt, it's like having salt in the kitchen. You always have it. You know, fashion isn't really known for its diversity, um, I'm sure, especially not in you know, 1968 or, you know, back then. And so can you tell me a little bit about that experience of, you know, being a young black woman working in fashion or being interested in fashion? Did you feel like you saw yourself in magazines and saw yourself in fashion? You see, it was such a different way of thinking back then. I had a sense of myself. I was told by people all the time that I was not a bad looking person. And so I just never thought of myself as because I was black, I wasn't good looking. But I never saw the representation of my type of looks as celebrated. Uh, but I can't say that it sort of bothered me so much. It was what how it was, you know. That just was what the you know what it was out in the world. So you don't think differently. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so I never thought today. You know, people are much more outspoken about that, and and there's no question but that you know there are beautiful women of color who don't even look white at all there are certain norms that we take for you know that people think well okay this woman is very beautiful because you know she has Aryan features but I think we've gotten away from that and you can see people who actually have black beauty I look at Michelle Obama and I think I don't know a more beautiful woman. I mean, here she is. She's not only beautiful, but she's brilliant. And that comes through as well and is important. Because remember, back then, beauty had nothing to do with brains for women. What was celebrated then was just how you looked, your clothes, your beauty, your face. What I'm saying is there was a certain accepted type of beauty. And I, I can promise you that if I was a young black woman with a big afro and, you know, didn't look how I looked, no matter how good my clothes were, they would not have picked me. But today, those things don't matter, you know, because we have individuality and people are more interested in that total person. I, I totally agree. However, you know, like I said, I'm 29, I'm working at Glamour, and, and certainly we've come a long way from what you're talking about. But I do notice that, you know, even having that afro, having that natural hair in the workplace is still something that's very much still in contention and, and still kind of causes confusion or discomfort. And also fashion and media is still a very white industry. And so it's certainly it's it's gotten better, but I would say we still have more to go. And I love that we're embracing authenticity and really you know, encouraging women to come out with their natural look. And Alicia Keys is not wearing makeup and people are oh, kind man. of embracing she's so their, beautiful. their realness. Oh, she's she's stunning. I mean, Alicia doesn't need makeup, okay? Alicia's just a gorgeous woman and she's talented and, and, and brilliant. And I love her natural face. But then, you know, at the, on the other side of that is that you have the Beyonce's of the world who have, you know, blonde hair and stuff. And there's all sorts of different black women. And I think that all of it should be celebrated. But I think to your point, by the way, indeed, we're not where we need to be, but we're so much farther than we were because, believe me, I've lived it. And I think that today, yes, we do have, you know, I, I read about some woman who was fired from her job because she had dreads. And yes, that, exactly. That's yeah. exactly. It's still happening. You know, 2016 yeah. is still happening. I believe it's 
before she wouldn't have even have gotten a job. I'm not Pollyanna about this. I think we have so much, we, we have a long way to go. And, and, and the celebration of black beauty is something that is very, very new and has a long way to go. But we have come a long way. When you were working in fashion, did you feel like these brands were catering to customers like you, to black women, to, you know, different no, women of color? No, absolutely not. No, I did not think that they thought about about that. I think that they basically were, this is our bottom line. And, and, and to me, that's, that's, I mean, really, people are different. And in fact, Smart companies realize that you're losing money, you're missing out on money if you don't think about how different people are. But I mean, how did it feel to, you know, be working at a company where they, you know, they weren't making clothes or, or things like that that were catering to uh, you? You know, I think that, that when you are a, a person of color in a workplace, you never forget that you're a person of color. That just doesn't go away. And in the subtle ways in which uh, you're treated and, and looked upon. So I really wasn't about to now start talking about, oh, let's do the clothing as well. I just felt, you know, I had bigger fish to fry. I feel the same way every day. You know, it's like it's really hard to work in a workplace and not sort of recognize that every day in a way that maybe white people don't even have to think about race at all. Um, if mm-hmm. you're a person of color, you have to think about it every day. Because, everyone, mm-hmm. you know, everyone's noticing that about you. You know, it's, it's, it's what Hillary Clinton was talking about the other day when she talked about bias, you know, um, implicit bias. There's implicit bias and, it, and, it, and it, it really can wear on you. I think that fashion is a very funny thing when it comes to, to that. I think that if you work in a law firm, say, I think that it is all about merit, okay? People went to law school and they pass the boards and they get interviewed and they're good, and they get a job. But I believe that in in merchandising, people work their way up. But I think that because they worked their way through and became who they are through the job, I think it's a very different atmosphere for people of color when you fall into that kind of environment, which is not simply just merit-based. Because I think that there is not the breadth of, I don't know whether it's experience or exposure, to just be accepting of people who are different from you. Did you have any mentors when you were coming up in the fashion industry? You know, I did not. And that's because as a black woman, there was nobody who particularly took an interest in me. And, and I know people are going to say, oh, playing the race card. But, you know, there are realities that black people experience that people just should not poo-poo so fast. And what that's done to me is it, it's made me into a mentor for others. Because I think people tend to be tribal. I think a lot of what people call racism is tribalism. They kind of hang together, you know. Oh, where do you get your hair colored? Where do you da-da-da? And they know each other and they stick together. And they're more likely, these mentoring relationships tend to come out of relationships that you're having with people who are looking at you like you're like them and recognizing in you those things about you that might be special. But if you can't get into the circle in the first place, it's very difficult for anyone to be able to pick you out. You know, for me now, it's a little bit easier to find mentors. You know, black women, especially in the workplace, kind of do find each other and you know, Absolutely. try to support each other as much as possible just because there's not as many of us. So I'm fortunate in that way. Well, no, because I mean, where were the other black women? But you know, I, I didn't have a mother. And my father was, a, it was a complicated relationship because he was very busy. And so he really believed in me and my brothers. And I have to tell you that it is because of him and his belief in me that I didn't crumble and just that I, you know, I was able to feel about myself the way I did in spite of all the other things that black people in the 60s had to endure. 
He was a really, you know, in Uganda where I come from, everybody has what we call a Christian name. Your name, Mary, blah, 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 Rebecca, da, da, da. My father actually flatly refused to give us what he called English names. He said, there's nothing Christian about them. And my children are going to, and so the Church of England refused to christen us, to baptize us. And so my father went to court, but he was a lawyer and he fought for the right to name us African names. So none of his children has an African name. And so I was really brought up with a sense of pride in my Africanness and my blackness. You sound very confident and strong, but, you know, was it difficult to to be, you know, in that position, to be, you know, one of the only women of color in fashion? Did you struggle with yes, that? Yes, it was very difficult. Yeah, no, it, it wasn't easy. No, it was not easy at all. Because, you know, you walk in already with people presuming that you're not going to be as good as. I had to be better than. And I just really, my go, my dream, my bucket list dream is to meet Michelle Obama one day, because I just think that she actually sets such a fantastic example for women of color, all women, I think, that's the woman that you want to look up to always. When you come from Uganda or, 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 you know, Kenya, I don't know, when you come from Africa, okay, you never think of yourself as inferior or weird because everybody looks like you and people think you're beautiful. And so it's only when you come where there, where there's a, a dominant culture that doesn't perceive you that way that you get to understand your separateness. Katiti, it's been such a pleasure to speak with you. I'm afraid we're out of time, but I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. Talk about a woman to know. Talk about a woman to know. Even her name is the kind of thing that if it sort of popped up on a woman to know, I'd be like, I gotta know more. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really interesting when Katiti said that she knew that she had a certain type of beauty. It just wasn't the beauty that the wider culture acknowledged. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like, I that type of beauty, that mainstream beauty is not for me and I'll never get to have that and that's fine. I just have to define my own beauty and my own beauty in that way, which is sort of bittersweet. Like I appreciate that and love the sentiment of that. But then also I'm like, Fuck that. The world needs to... I mean, you you were just a beautiful human and the world needs to broaden its definition to include a beauty like yours and a million others. Well, and I, I also... was bittersweet. I also loved that she combined the idea of beauty and smarts. Oh, she That did. now the culture appreciates a woman's intelligence as a part of her beauty, that mm-hmm. that sort of is a contributing factor. Mm-hmm. And talent. She said it with Alicia. She was like, Alicia Keys doesn't need to wear makeup. She's beautiful and incredibly talented. Mm-hmm. That, that sort of both contribute in the way that I think we think of men to be honest Mm -hmm. you know where a man has sort of character Mm -hmm. and that character is sort of a contributing factor to his overall attractiveness or his appeal and I think it's just such a good reminder that we've we have come a really long way and I mean we do need to practice kind of constant vigilance to just ensure that we keep moving forward and that we don't slide back Um, but also how you know, blessed I feel in many ways to be able to be a part of a culture and especially a group of women who can confidently talk about this stuff. You know what? We should we should encourage everyone to sign up for a tiny letter because nothing gets the day started like a work wife, some coffee. And, and a woman to and know. A woman to know. Yes, everybody should thing? sign up for Julia Carpenter's newsletter. Um, if you just go to tinyletter.com slash a woman to know, uh, you can sign up for it and just make your day brighter. <laughs> Workwives is produced by Ben Riskin and Acast. 
Our associate producer, Katiri Benjamin, keeps the ship afloat. And we have production support from the whole staff at Glamour, including Anna Maysline, Lizzie Logan, and Simone Kitchens. Production support for this episode was provided by Greg Mayu, and we're recorded right here at Condé Nast Studio in NYC.